welcome to the third electrical podcast. Goodness me, the third. We're old friends now, aren't we? For those of you listening for the first time, welcome. Come on in, kick off your boots, pull up a chair. And for those of you who have been present right from the start, well, you are my brethren. You're my very brethren. I was thinking to myself in the week, though, I was thinking, well done me for starting to take advantage of five-year-old technology. People have been podcasting for ages, haven't they? Why haven't I done this before? But this still has to be the future, doesn't it? Podcasting or self-made content on demand. It has to be a proper threat to radio because this is certainly how I get my ear bliss now, subscribing to podcasts, Adam and Joe, people like that. It seems to be the best way of getting what you want. Well, this was my theory you'd think people would move to some degree from radio to podcast. And in, in, instead of listening to Chris Moyles in the morning, they'd listen to podcasts instead. But then I saw the UK podcast chart on iTunes. And who's top of that? Chris Moyles. The Chris Moyles podcast, which I don't know if that's self-defeating. You you can't judge people for what podcasts they listen to, but you, you can. You, people are idiots, aren't they? I've only been reintroduced to radio recently and I'm amazed how bad it is. I mean, Radio 1, the reason I've been reintroduced to it is that my mum runs a petrol station and hardware shop. It, it's the family business and sometimes I have to help out in the shop, which I, I don't mind in the least. But the staff like Radio 1, which is something I wouldn't normally listen to. And I've been force fed it a little bit. And holy moly, that Chris Moyles... I don't have too much of a problem with him because you can tell it's a, a highly produced show. People are putting an effort into that show. It's tight and it might not be our cup of tea in terms of music or banter. But as a breakfast show for teens and, and people in their 20s, it, yeah, all right. Yeah, but, but they've got this thing on Radio 1, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. called Fern Cotton. And this is just, it's remarkable because Radio 1 is historically a prestigious station. Well, it, it is a prestigious station. So you'd think the presenters would have to be of a certain calibre. But in Fern Cotton, they've selected somebody for a radio show whose favourite word is urn. Fern Cotton. I don't know a lot about her. My, my brain is only a certain size. I can't afford to fill it with knowledge about Fern Cotton. But I do know that she was on kids TV when she was about 15, 16. So she was probably even as a kid earning, what, 50, 60 grand. And her stupid life since then has just been one long list of pay rises, which I suppose isn't her fault. But this is someone who literally and I'm not misusing the word literally here. This is someone who literally knows nothing, nothing. She knows what gig she was at last night. She knows it was amazing. And she knows she's sitting in a chair. This is the entire sum of the woman's knowledge. She's, oh, so, um, so I went to this gig last night, um, Johnny Rockface and the Turbines, and it was so amazing. Um, so text in, um, I've got the new Scouting for Girls record in a moment. It's amazing. Such nice guys. Everybody are such nice guys. Um, and they did a live lounge, and it was, oh, it was just amazing. Um, now, look, I, I know that Radio 1 is pitched at people younger than me, 16 to 29-year-olds or something, and I'm 33. But that isn't presenting. That's barely talking. That's just basic senses of light and hearing responding to, to, to sound and, and impetus and your mouth going, um, oh, oh, slagging off Radio 1, Stan. That's the sort of thing Jeremy Clarkson does. You're like him. Shut up. I'm not like Jeremy Clarkson. Liking Jeremy Clarkson is like thinking Himmler was probably all right as long as you didn't bring up politics. It's dangerous liking Jeremy Clarkson, right? So even 
So I thought, right, 33 might be pushing it, but why can't I get a lucrative gig at Radio 1? So what I've done is I've made a demo tape, which I'm going to send in to the controller of Radio 1, lie about my age, say I'm 24, and see what happens. So, here it is. Radio 1! Uh, uh, okay, um, that was scouting for girls who... Uh, I think they're at the V, I think they're at V this year or something. Um, really looking forward to festivals. So, text in 85543 to me, Scott. Right. Um, so I went out to this club last night. Uh, do you go? I, I went with my mate Edward, who's, he is totally mad. And we were in this club or something. Uh, it was so wicked. You know those nights that are, that are just wicked? So text in 85543. I've got a text here from Rachel. Uh, she says, hi, Scott. Loving the show. You're great. See you at V. Thanks, Rachel. So I'm Scott. Check me out. Um, check, go to radio1.com if you like, Scott Mills, and you can, you can see the whole show in the studio and what I'm doing now. Um, 78,000 of you doing that. Thanks for that. So this next record, uh, oh, let's play this. Next record, Scouting for Girls. Um, there you go. How is that any better or worse than presenters like Scott Mills? It's, you know, the way he says, text into the show, show, or, or people go, hi, Scott, loving the show. How is it a show? How is saying nothing and then presenting one of the 10 records on the playlist a show? And all right, I'm not a radio presenter, but I speak for a living. I'm a, I'm a stand up. And if what I did, if I did that as a show, and I've just uh, I've realised something. I've just realised that three podcasts in, I've not mentioned who I am or what my name is. I've not even said hello, have I? And I haven't said... I haven't even said my name. Scott Mills is pissing himself now. There I am slagging him off. And into the third podcast, I've not even introduced it. At least he manages to say his own name six times a minute. I've realised now what I did in the first one. I can't even remember what the first bit was. But I remember I just dived in. I wasn't really sure what to talk about. And I haven't set down the basics. So thanks for listening for the last few hours. My name's Stanley McHale and I'm a stand-up comedian. This is a bit like going on honeymoon and then saying, hi, I'm Paul. But I'm still right. Radio 1, you know what shocked me? I've not really listened to radio properly since I was about 15. And so I thought, um, having worked in my mum's shop and, and listening to it again, that it might have moved on, that there might have been advances. But you know what they still do? They still do that game where they play songs released in a certain year for an hour and you have to guess what year it is different radio stations call it different things i think heart call it the time tunnel <laughs> and that that astonished me chris moore's called it the golden year or something like that and that astonished me because they did that game in the 80s probably the 70s it's irrelevant now because in the in the 70s and 80s you did have to guess but in the information age, the game has become irrelevant. They play, I don't know, if they play stereotypes by Blur, uh, they go, guess the year, OK, what year do you think it is? And you think, oh, I don't know, stereotypes by Blur, 1996? Hang on, I'll just check my phone. Go on Google, oh, 1995, my mistake. But people still get it wrong! Paul from Huddersfield has texted in, sorry, Paul, you're wrong. I know you're thinking, well, Stan, you're being cynical. It's a guessing game. It's for people driving down the motorway or people working in a canteen. It's just an hour of simple fun, which is fine. But you wouldn't phone in a radio show or text in if you weren't 100% sure. Hello, right, right now on. 
Daniel here. Yeah, I'm on my mobile, so but because is it 1994? Thanks. Sorry, Daniel from Rochdale, you're wrong. Oh, I should have checked. Now look, right, Nana. So, oh, um, we got a few more guesses coming in. Sorry, Robbie from Cleethorpes, you said 1996. You're wrong. He's emailed in the soft bastard. He's on a computer. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Salford Side Splitter. Vaulted Salford's sixth most expensive night out three years in a row. And if you don't believe me, just ask Amanda behind the bar. Now, our next act is becoming a little bit of a firm favourite down here. Yeah, I know, I know, you know who I'm talking about. But tonight's act, he says, might be a little bit blue. So, cover your ears, girls, and welcome <laughs> the comedy stylings of Monacy! Thank you, thank you. So, well, I do think that I must absolutely be a total sex object. <laughs> and I mean that in every sense of the word. <laughs> because I always thought of my genitals as the result of a crude practical joke. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. So, who here likes dance music? Yeah, I like it all Well, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. It, it really is the refuge of the mentally deficient. It's made by dull people for dull people. And rap music, um, I really do think, is a great musical stench. I, do, I find it very offensive and very artless and very styleless. And to me, it's just very reminiscent of thuggery. Pop thuggery. And I don't want to hear it at all. Um, and in England, pop music seems now to be exclusively for children. And if an artist is no good, then why is it necessary to have them repeatedly slammed in your face? Um, and my parents were very worried about me as a child, um, especially when I got into pop music and especially when I got into people like the New York Dolls, who at the time were very peculiar indeed. <laughs> when all is said and done I just think my life would be so much more colourful if only I had a drink problem <laughs> thank you thank you, you're very kind you're very kind I thank you, I love you, goodbye started to get a couple of emails come in regarding the podcast, a bit of feedback, which is thrilling. Thank you very much. If you want to proffer your opinions, it's electricalpodcast at gmail.com. 
Uh, I've become like Scott Mills. Email in. Email me. Email in. Make me feel important. Scott at scott.com. Text in. Text in the show. It's a show. 855555. I'm not like Scott Mills. I'm like John Peel, if anyone. I'm the same as John Peel because I'm doing this in my house like he did. Now, I got uh, an email from Jamie in Aylesbury. And Jamie, thank you. You were the third person to email in. And like Scott Mills, he... Um, compliments me but unlike Scott Mills I'm not going to read that bit out he says Jamie he says I agree with you about Morris dancers this was last week of course we talked about Morris dancers but Jamie says uh, you said they all sit down to pints of foaming ale pints of foaming real ale don't go putting real ale drinkers in with Morris dancers real ale is a drink of kings you should try it well no Jamie thank you for putting that away Jamie, I no, that's what I drink. I do. That's all I drink. I only drink real ale. But you have to concede that real ale is also the choice of the Morris dancer. They will, we three men of the forest so pale, dance with us and grant us ale. That's what they that's what they sing when they go into pubs. But real ale drinkers, and I think it's important to emphasize there's a the big spectrum now. There's you and me, Jamie, who we are the kids and we think it's wicked, right? And then there's Jeff's, the Morris dancers, who only drink it because it's oldie fashioned. And Thinking about this, I remember a group of Morris dancers in a pub in Manchester. They came in, ruined everyone's life for about 15 minutes, obviously, and then all sat around or stood around the bar having a drink. I think they sort of, you could see they sort of expected the landlord to provide them with free drinks, and he bloody didn't, thank God. But imagine, imagine if that caught on. They probably do get free drinks in some pubs, and that turns my blood to boils, I tell you. But one member of this group... He'd brought one member of the Jeffs, one Jeff, he'd brought his own drink. And it was in a, uh, an old porcelain beer jug. Not a jug. What, what, are, they, what are they called that, that you used to get? A flagon. He brought a flagon, a porcelain flagon of his own drink and his own tankard, right, to drink from. And he would pour his own drink from the flagon into his, his tankard. And you know what he'd brought to drink with him? Mead. Yeah. He'd brought his own mead. Ale was too modern for him. He had to bring a drink that hasn't existed for 300 years. And forget he was drinking mead. The cheek of it. Going into a pub. You go into a pub. You make a racket. You brought your own drinks. What's the landlord thinking? He's going, well, you've sent all my punters scuttling for the door. But the good thing is I can't make a penny from you. Come again, gents. And I don't, we're not going to go on about Morris dances for two consecutive weeks. We've got a million topics to discuss and we've got the freedom of cyberspace and we're, we're stuck here on Morris dances. But this again underlines their cockiness and sense of self-importance. You can't drink your own, you can't bring your own drinks into a pub. It's a barring offence. Oh, it's all right. I'm a Morris dancer. Oh, I'm sorry, my liege. I had so, I had no idea, my liege. I deserve a good crack over there with your stick covered in bells. But um, going back to what Jamie from Aylesbury says, he says, don't lump real ale drinkers in with um, Morris dancers. And I agree with that. But the thing that links uh, real ale drinkers, the traditional real ale drinkers and Morris dancers is the language they use. And we talked about Morris dancers speak, like, well, you know, the, the style with which they speak last week. But real ale drinkers are represented by Camera, which is the campaign for real ale, uh, which should really not be Camera, should it? Camp. The campaign for real ale. It should be Tukfra. The campaign for real ale. If you meet any camera people in the future, refer to camera as Tukfra because those are the proper initials. They'll enjoy that. By the way, 
I'm not going to have a go at camera either. They're an easy target and they, they actually do a good job. You know, you should sign up and become a member. I'm a member because they're proactive in keeping pubs open and they, they, they make better drinks available and so forth. But have you ever read the little magazines they put out? Well, they're in pubs, they're normally free and you wouldn't pay. They're normally free and each branch of camera will do their own little magazine or newsletter representing the area like North London, Cardiff, York and so on. And this is where camera Tukfra, it's not camera, it's Tukfra, um, crossover. This is the, the newsletters and, and magazines. This is where they cross over from being a worthy cause to complete twatty nightmare. This is where the Jeffs get involved. This is where their journalism comes out, right? Because um, aside from pubs, uh, adverts for pubs and beer festivals and whatnot, there is normally a little write-up of pub tours they've been on, festivals they've been to, days out and things like that. And there's two things about these articles. One, they're always written by someone called Jeff, of course. And two, this is getting back to what I was saying, Jamie. They are always written in some sort of weird mock medieval English. It's a bit like Morris Dancer speak, but slightly smugger and more knowing. You pick up a Merseyside edition of Tukfra, for example, and there'll be a description of a trip to Wrexham or Bolton or somewhere. And it will read in this bizarre way. It will go... Our band of merry ale seekers did set forth upon the hour of ten aboard a handsome motor coach that quite ably housed our thirty strong party, and no one's ever spoken like this, which is what we were saying last week, I know, but they don't just say we got on a bus. I know we, we've covered this, but no one in Shakespeare's day or at any point in history has ever spoken like that. Our chariot did progress with good speed along the main carriageway to the fair town of Wrexham, whereupon Jeff did bid our bus driver stop, for he spied our first tavern of the day. It was with happy heart that we did enter said watering hole and, after a short moment of anxious idlement, did put our lips to a hearty pint of old pink nose from the Watermill Brewery in the good town of Leicester. And this is how it goes on. They can't just go, saw another pub, the Red Maid popped in, a few good ales, enjoyed the Thigstons, uh, jukebox was a bit loud. They all go, then our collective eye did settle upon another likely inn of some repute, yonder across the common, which went by the moniker, the Red Maid, whence we did trape our weary legs in order to receive sustenance of the highest order. Many a first-rate throat quencher was on offer, but after some deliberation, the most enjoyable order I selected was Steakston's. Happy the traveller who finds tidbits disreanimating, I considered, before being distracted by the slightly thunderous phonogram. They are a pain. They, oh, I'm out of breath. They are a pain when they come into pubs, the whole real ale lot as well. I wish, their, I wish their descriptions in the magazine articles included what most likely actually happened. Our final call of the day was a saloon of the most unwholesome and villainous variety, and yet the one closest to the coach rest, where our trusty motor steed was parked in order to deliver us home. Verily inside we trooped, and verily selected 28 halves of their bass bitter, Shamefully, the only tipple on general release that evening. The bar wench gave your trusty reporter a low look and some curse words unrepeatable in such a publication as this. But I regret the golden nectar of that afternoon may have found its way to my head as I selected a young lady by the billiards table to engage in discourse with. At which point her gentleman friend, Big Craig, a local brawler of some repute, did punch my bastard lights out. <laughs> Well, 
it's probably true to say that my sister and I enjoy a uh, secluded life here at Bromsgrove. Um, we're not exactly part of the rat race here, are we, Phil? No, no, not at all. Um, but I, I really wouldn't want it any other way. Both Hugo and I do have work to do during the day. And, I mean, Hugo has to telephone town two or three times a day. There's really plenty to keep us occupied. Oh, indeed. And the village is only a short drive away. We often attend functions there. Um, Philippa opened the new school library last week, didn't you, Phil? Absolutely. And, and so I would consider us active people. Irks us, rather, when we have guests over here from the neighbouring estates. Oh, yeah, all from London. All from London. Um, who tend to treat us rather like bumpkins or something. Well, bumpkins is the right word. And I don't know if it's because we run things rather traditionally here. But some of our guests of late have been discourteous in the extreme. And the thing I've noticed is that the higher their rank, for want of a better word, the worse they are. I mean, well, the worst of the I lot... I don't think that's incredibly wise, Hugo. Oh, well, dash it. What are they going to do? Beh behead me? The worst of the lot... Hugo! Well, look, Phil, you say who I'm about to say and dress it up nicely, or I'll say it. All right, well, all right. Hugo is referring to the Windsors. The blooming royals. But we really shouldn't say anything to offend because our family has enjoyed strong relations with the royal family going back to the time of Queen Anne. And it would be tragic if a few misunderstandings now were to undermine all that. Well, to clarify, it's hardly the royals in general I'm referring to. It's, uh, it's the princes. Now, you'll admit, Phil, they're an absolute bore sometimes. Well... Yes, this is true, I suppose. And one in particular. You take a pot shot at which one? Oh, Hugo, it's it's wrong to single out one for blame. It's it's more complicated than that. Harry, or uh, the the H man, as he goes around calling himself these days. Well, he and his brother were down for a shoot in March. They've been coming with their father for early spring sport for six years in a row now. Yes, and and everything was going splendidly. Everyone's enjoying themselves hugely. The birds are here, there and everywhere. I, I bag myself a couple of fatties, and then suddenly, just as I'm taking aim again, my ear protectors are peeled back, and I hear, whispered in my lug, I hear, you bloody spiff. Oh, oh don't, Hugo, it's, it's, it's too awful. But that's what happened. I turned around, and there's Harry. So I say, I beg your pardon. I didn't raise my voice, but I said, I beg your pardon. And he said, I beg your pardon, your majesty. Now... This is a bit awkward. Yes, you see, it's commonly accepted practice that even though we aren't technically royals, although Hugo is... What are you? Uh, um, 61st, I think. Although Hugo is 61st to the throne, we're not officially royals or anything, but it's commonly accepted practice that we and other families in our position don't refer to the royal family as your majesty. Yeah, so here the wretch is saying, I beg your pardon, your majesty. And of course, well, I have to say it. I say... I beg your pardon, your majesty. And he says, you bloody spiv. I'd, I'd never even heard the words. Well, it means some sort of disreputable fellow of the lower order, as I understand it. And I say, I don't quite understand your majesty. And then he kicks me in the ankle and says, enough of your cheek, you bloody spiv. You don't even know how to hold a gun. And then he goes back joins his brother and his father, and I, I, I look over and I see all three of them glance over and smirk a bit. Well, and, that, and that was the end of that, but I mean, it's a bit strong, isn't it? We might not be royals, but we're hardly... We're hardly spivs. Exactly. 
And what about how I hold my gun? I hold my gun in the military fashion like my father taught me. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? No, no, nothing. It's how a gun should be held. Well, that's what I say. You just don't know what people are thinking now, do you? Bloody spiv. Do you, do you think other people are saying that about us? Uh, I don't think so, no. No, no I'm, I'm certain. Are you? Really? Good. Bloody royals. So... Doing a podcast like this and expressing opinion, I suppose there's always a risk of portraying oneself badly or inaccurately, and the whole thing could become an accidental expose or whatever. But I think it's important also to reveal a bit of your character, right? So, two tales from Liverpool. I used to live in Liverpool, nine years actually I lived there until quite recently, and I was thinking back on my time there for the purpose of this. And it's, it's funny the little moments, um, probably quite insignificant moments, that come to the front line of your memory. I remember one November, perhaps two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, walking through Williamson Square in the city centre. And it must have been about the time of Remembrance Sunday because all the British Legion volunteers were out selling paper poppies. And I think it's important to buy a paper poppy. I've said before, I th last week, I said I wasn't the most patriotic person. That's certainly not nationalistic. But if you wear a poppy, it does more than just show remembrance for those that died in wars. They probably didn't even believe in themselves. It, it, it shows a bit of perspective and understanding of the past and, and what shaped us, if you like. I'm, I'm the new David Starkey, aren't I? I understand history. So generally, I make a point of wearing one. But the trouble is... You put one on a coat and you generally have more than one coat and you don't remember to swap them. So then you find yourself wearing a different coat, which is populist. And you think, oh, well, I don't I don't want to look like I don't have a sense of perspective and understanding. <laughs> I'm so pompous. Um, I don't want to look like I don't have perspective and understanding. I don't want to look like I'm not David Starkey. So I'll buy another poppy. And they're normally a quid. You pay a quid. So that's two quid you've spent and then you find yourself out and about with a third jacket on or maybe it's milder and you don't have a jacket on at all you just got a cardi or something and so again you're populous and people this is it people won't think look at him he doesn't have a sense of perspective and understanding oh but no he probably does he's probably bought two already but they're on different coats they'll just think that you don't have a sense of perspective and understanding right so I was walking along this particular day feeling a bit awkward because I was populist, but I'd already bought two. And I thought maybe I should get another one, even though I didn't have any money and I'd already spent two quid. And, and, and as I was thinking this, I passed a young lady in the square selling poppies. And she said, poppy, sir, like, well, she was from Liverpool. She probably didn't have a Cockney accent. It wasn't a scene out of Oliver Twist. It was poppy, sir. It was a, a, a most enchanting young lady was, was selling poppies in the square, and I took it upon myself to donate three shiny farthings to the urchin's cause, and proudly displayed the bloom for the rest of that morning upon my buttonhole. No, she said, she said, you know, poppy, sir, because she was from Liverpool, and it's quite rare, isn't it, when you're thinking of buying something, when you're, when you're considering buying something, to be offered that thing at the moment you're thinking it, it's a sign you should buy it, isn't it? But I just, I just mumbled, oh, no, thanks, I've got one or something, or something dismissive, and carried on on my way. But then I thought, no, you know, you should. You should buy one. You know, you can't put a price on the death of millions. 
well, you can, and it's about two quid. But I thought, all right, I should buy a third poppy. And I resolved to. And as I resolved to, I walked round the corner into Paradise Street. And by this point, just as I was thinking, yeah, I'll get another poppy. Another poppy vendor, another British Legion volunteer, but this time a spotty teenage boy said, Poppy, sir. And there I was, resolved to buy another poppy, being offered another poppy. And what did I do? Yeah, you know, you know already, you know damn well what I did. I said, no, thanks, turned on my heels and walked back to the attractive girl selling poppies in Williamson Square and bought one off her. And this is what I mean by podcasts being an expose. Because what does that say about me? Using the slaughter of millions as an excuse to chat up a bit of skirt. And what's she going to do? She, what's she going to say? She's from a church group or something, right? What's she going to think? Oh, sod the poppies. I'm going for a drink with this crazy stranger. And what, what, what chat up line do you use? It, buying a poppy is not a good opportunity to get naughty. You What chat up line you go, oh... Hello, um, hello there. Um, Poppy, please. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, that's, um, that's three I've bought now, actually. So, yeah, bloody wars, eh? eh? What are they good for? Do you like Frankie Goes to Hollywood? No. Yeah, thanks very much for that. But I'll just pin that on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, those poor blokes. Oh, they laid down their lives for us, didn't they? Yeah. Don't suppose you fancy my... No. But bye. And I walked off quickly through town, hands dug into pockets, wearing my poppy, but feeling like a bit of a fraud. You know, I'd, I'd bought it for all the wrong reasons. And sometimes there's quick retribution. I got to the bombed-out church in the centre of Liverpool and I was walking up Harbin Street towards the Philharmonic when I saw a young little scally lad, about 15, 16. He clocked me walking towards him. You know, little scally, Lacoste tracky and all that. And I knew he was going to say something, but he was looking at me and he was struggling to get an angle. I wasn't dressed that remarkably. I had a, a scarf on, a, a poppy, obviously, jeans, shoes. So I could tell he was he was trying to think of something. And even I was curious as to what it might be, because it's not worth fighting back over. I was genuinely a bit curious about the insult he would come up with. So we got together and as we passed, he went, scarf twat. And... I laughed out loud. Scarf twat. That's an amazing insult, isn't it? To insult someone for wearing a scarf. And it wasn't a bright pink neon scarf or anything. It was just a scarf. Scarf twat. And so it, it became my favourite little anecdote at the time. And I was telling this story quite a lot. The scarf twat bit, not the poppy buying bit. And I told it to my friend Athena, who, amongst other things, works as the production assistant for the band Elbow when they're on tour. The brilliant Elbow, right? So she was telling the start the Scarf Twat story to people and it was getting around amongst the crew um, on the tour. And on that tour, Elbow were being supported by a singer called Jessica Hoop, right? And she went out and did her set, obviously before Elbow every day, and she was at the Gateshead Arena. And at one point, of her set every single night the elbow lead singer guy garvey would come out and join her for a song so jessica who must have been talking to athena or or other people in the crew because this particular night guy garvey comes out to sing with her and she welcomes into the stage by going hello you scarf twat and he didn't know what it what it meant but it caught on on it caught on on that tour and guy garvey got the whole audience thousands of them 
chanting, scarf twat, scarf twat. This is a true story, by the way. And that all came from me. Well, it came, it came from the little scally fella that, that was caught short for an insult, which is incredible. That stupid little insult of his was a mere few days later being chanted by hysterical thousands at an elbow gig. So, you see, I am rock and roll, aren't I? Please hang up and try again. time coming up to oh about half past five in the morning it's time once again to speak with alan merrick the great 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 grandson and only surviving relative of john merrick otherwise known as the elephant man as he continues his quest through the dripping catacombs and sewers of the london dating scene Last week, we didn't quite strike it lucky, did we, down at the uh, Jolly Butchers in Stoke Newington? But who knows, maybe this week we'll, at last, see our man report back with tales of Cupid and Amore. Only one way to find out. Good evening, Alan. Oh, good evening, Stanley. We should really say good morning. It's nearly dawn, old boy. Yes, yes, I am something of a night hawk. I find this time of day, just before dawn breaks the long grip of night, one of quiet pondering and cogitation. Oh, I'm the same. I like to sit and watch the night buses full of sleeping office cleaners and... The drone of the first tube trains. The sparks from the line bouncing off the low brown clouds. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I like to think of all those people that are stirring and alarms going off and breakfast being cooked in the cafes. And it's like a suede song, this, isn't it? Yes, and all those people still sleeping. All those single people sleeping, all the single ladies probably having a dream and singing in their sleep. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. Now put your hands up, up, up in the club. We just broke up. I'm doing my own little Alan. thing. Alan. Oh, excuse me. I lost myself. So, what does the day have in store for you? Well, I'm quite lucky, really, because I don't have to be in work until 11-ish. So I'll get some shut-eye and probably leave the flat around 10, half 10. And what is it you do, by the way? Because we haven't been into this. I work at a photographic developing studio in Bethnal Green, just up from Whitechapel. I see, like a 
um, a one-hour photo place. No, it's more specialist than that. More for the serious photographer. Because digital cameras pretty much did away with all that sort of business. People don't need to go and get their everyday snaps developed anymore. So this is more for your creative photographers who want high-quality film developed and, and prints enlarged and that sort of thing. I see. And you work in the shop, or...? No, no. Mr Rookfeather works in the shop. I'm not allowed out there, or out front, as he calls it. I work in the dark room, out the back. Oh, out where the, the photos are developed? Yes. He says to me, if I see you trying to come out front again, Alan, I'll put you in the lockbox again. What's what's the lockbox? I don't really want to talk about it. I don't need no permission, did I mention? Don't pay him any attention, because you've had your turn, and now Alan. you're going to learn Alan. what it... Oh, sorry, I forgot myself. Hey, wouldn't it be funny if Beyonce sued us? If I got a writ, if I got a writ, I'd say, right, Beyonce, sue away. Because it would go to court in Los Angeles, and this is what they'd be discussing. Imagine this, imagine Alan and me being played in court, and Beyonce's there, and her lawyers, Jay-Z's got his head in his hands. Jay-Z's just admiring the production, that's what he's doing. Anyway, so Alan... You, you work out the back, developing the photos, which I imagine is quite an insight into people's lives, isn't it? I mean, don't, don't, take, the, don't take this the wrong way, but it's quite a voyeuristic occupation, isn't it? Yes, it can be. It can be if you want it to be. And I do want it to be. The couples and the families, the young ladies modelling. It's a real eye-opener, a portal into another world. But another world that you soon might join, my friend, because you went on a date last week. Oh, yes, indeed. So you put the whole Clarissa and the Jolly Butcher thing behind you? Yes. Sorry if I lost my self-possession last week. I, I must have got something in my eye. She wasn't right for you anyway. It's like the other one. So, so who was the lucky lady this week? Oh, Stacy. The lovely Stacy. Good show. And what was, where was the venue? A pub called the Cambridge, which is in Bethnal Green, just by Bethnal Green Tube. Oh, so local. That's right, which is always a bonus when you go on a date, because when you have to travel long distances for your date, it's all very well getting there, but it's the coming home. Nobody likes a long tube journey, weeping on the floor covered in blood and snot. So, local's good. And of course, the other benefit is that, you know, if you get lucky, it's not so far to walk back to yours, is it? What? I know the Cambridge in Bethnal Green. It's known as a boxing pub, you know, Alan. It's, it's pretty 
old school East End in there, you get quite a few tasty characters. Well, that's it. And Stacy said on her profile page that she was a real Cockney Sparrow, which is lovely. Those up west girls, they're all very well, but you can't beat a good honest East End Missy, can you? Right. So, Stacy, what time did you arrange to meet? At eight. And what time did you get there? 4.45. Well, I wanted to watch the football scores coming in on the big screen, you see. And a couple of glasses of wine to steady the old nerves? Yes. How many? Twelve. Good. So, everything in order. And, and where, where were you sat? At the bar, actually. I wanted to give the air of a chap who was confident around his fellow man. You know, a bit of a Jack the Lad. But the problem was, there were two entrances to the Cambridge. One on one side of the room, and one on the back wall. So I kept having to spin around in my seat after half past seven to make sure I caught her coming in. And so... Eventually she arrived. Was she on time? Um, 16 minutes late. But as I always say, ladies' prerogative. And had you... Like last week we talked about Atel. Uh, had you organised something? Yes. She was to be carrying a copy of Ringside, a popular boxing magazine. So, she arrives and... First impressions? Oh, she was a damsel, just as I pictured her. Quite small, early twenties, with a, a small face that suggested a struggle of a life, but one still open to mystery and adventure. She had long, dark hair tied back into a ponytail with quite heavy eyeliner, crimson lipstick and small, tasteful emerald earrings. Um, she was wearing a vest top and a pair of black jeans. Her feet were surprisingly large, a size six, but they were dressed in a very fetching pair of red leather boots. Wow. And so you stood up? Yes. I was at the bar with the other chaps, so I stood up and waved and said, Yoo-hoo, Stacy, over here. And she looked over and she sort of froze a bit and her mouth opened and just hung there. But then another man in the bar must have recognised her because he said, All right, Stace, what's the matter, girl? 
and she just pointed over at me. So I made my way over quickly saying, Stacy, it's me, it's Alan. And then, <laughs> and then this man turned and blocked my path. And I heard Stacy scream and one of his fists shot up into the side of my ribcage oh and my his God. other fist darted over straight into my face and oh the last thing I remember was everything going dull sounding oh and I hit my head on the brass bar around the foot of the bar and I don't remember anything oh. <laughs> Alan Alan. And it's all so unfair. I didn't even get a chance to wish her good evening. Alan. I've got so much to give. Alan. If you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. If you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. <laughs> Stanley McHale. It features Stanley McHale and Alan Eve.